It's just a public service announcement sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and <laughs> recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Fly it in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. Hey, hey, is, is this thing on? I, I feel like we haven't been in this space for a little while. Probably about 11 months since we've been in this space together. This is Midwest Swing. New name, or actually old name, old face, and another old face that will be joining me in just a second here. But this is Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. And we are under the umbrella of Access Twins, my new Substack that you can find, accesstwins.substack.com. Doing a little thing that's a little different over there. And we're covering the Twins from basically my home office until things clear up on the COVID front. You may know that I'm no longer with Zone Coverage, but they did, as a measure of goodwill, allow me to keep my podcast and now I think we're finally ready to get back up and running. And so we have got an old friend on the line, the former face of the franchise for a while there while I was <laughs> off and uh, doing doing different things. It's Mike Berardino at Mike Berardino on Twitter. Mike, how do we find you on this chilly January day? Well, nice to be with you again, Brandon. I, uh, I don't want to be referred to as an old face, but I'll take an old friend. And, uh, there we go. and it does seem, it's like writing a, it's like writing a podcast. We're right back in there. And, uh, yes, um, you were kind enough to, uh, extend an invitation for me to talk hall of fame ballot again. And, uh, those things have become such, uh, such a, a controversy point for everyone that it's nice to uh, have a chance to explain yourself. So thank you. What are you up to these days? I know that you have a podcast and I know you're not doing the the regular gig with the uh, Indianapolis paper anymore, but I've seen you do some Notre Dame stuff. Mm-hmm. I believe you covered the CFP uh, first round game, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, some stuff still Notre Dame related. But again, oh, yeah. too, that world is in flux. Obviously, we didn't have March Madness now, again, 11 months ago, and, and things have changed a bit on that front. But what's keeping you busy right now? Because it's uh, it's definitely a changing landscape for a lot of people. No doubt. Yeah, I, I, the Indianapolis Star, um, I was laid off there in a, in a merger of more than uh, 13 months ago. And um, so, I, but I continue to write about Notre Dame uh, weekly for the Chicago Sun Times. Uh, they have a sports Saturday section that they really uh, beef up uh, and um, have gotten a lot of good uh, feedback on. So I'm part of that uh, basketball as well for Notre Dame and then uh, in that publication. And then Forbes.com has a quite a stable of sports writers out there and I'm part of that and I can write about any college sports topic or often Notre Dame is the is the choice for me um and I write five times a month with them and um still do baseball digest stuff and um we were talking off the air about how how difficult it is to uh, get a handle on on what teams are even going to look like when they get to spring training. Well, that's kind of an issue for me right now because Baseball Digest is waiting on my American League Central preview. And uh, aside from that Lindor trade, uh, I'm kind of waiting for shoes to drop. And uh, we kind of know what the shoes are, but they're they're all fluttering around at this point. Yeah, I guess you probably can't send them a shrug emoji and just say, (laughs) yeah, you know, We'll see what happens. I, I got to ask you, I didn't run this past you as a pre-show topic, but what are you making of all these veteran seasoned journalists throwing their hats, uh, or hanging up their uh, typewriters, I guess would be a better way to put it. You've got guys like, uh, I think, Mark Gonzalez today, and you've had some of the uh, the very, very well-regarded journalists of that ilk taking buyouts and, and moving on to greener pastures or just different pastures what, what have you made of that as we've seen quite a few very well-known baseball writers kind of ride off into the sunset in the last few months here 
Yeah, well, I I didn't see that about Gonzo. He's one of my favorites. Oh, breaking news! And, uh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, that's a, that's a loss. Um, I right. saw he just wrote a the old bit on Tommy Lasorda for the Chicago Tribune. Um, it's just that's it's not just a baseball thing. It's across the board, and it's not just a sports writer thing. It's just uh, the consolidation of newspapers and. Um, it's uh, they're just there's not as many jobs to go around. And so and a lot of times uh, there are buyout packages put in front of people and uh, sometimes they are tempting. I, I um, don't consider myself retired and, and I don't really that, that word's not in my vocabulary. I mean, it's just such a great uh, outlet for creativity and for all the sports knowledge and the sports conversations we have anyway. It's, as long as someone will have me even in a freelance basis i'm going to keep writing about sports um i mean we're going to pay attention anyway so we might as well uh, bring our institutional knowledge to the to the fore but it's a crowded landscape out there and i think the demands of the uh, consumer have changed over time i mean there's even confusion you hear this conversation i've heard on other podcasts and sometimes we talk about it at the podcast i started last month with a couple of old college buddies of mine uh, the san diego padres scout kimball crossley and uh, North Carolina, where I went and Kimball went, um, journalism professor uh, Tim Crothers, former Sports Illustrated and author of several books. Um, we, um, it's called Three Point Range, and um, we invite you to listen to that too. But um, this whole concept of what is, and we've talked about it on your show, what it, what's the difference between a beat writer and a columnist, uh, and uh, what is the what is the main. Um, is there room for opinion in uh, in reporting? And, and it's gotten very jumbled and it's not just in sports and people, I think the consumer is more confused than ever. And, and it's almost like if you don't uh, have a hot take, then, um, you know, to hell with you. And uh, I think that um, I'm still among those who try to uh, I wear a different hat based on what I'm being asked to do. And sometimes it's a straight feature story and sometimes it's straight reporting. And then sometimes you should bring an opinion to the, uh, to the table. But um, those who change hats frequently or those who are freelancing, I mean, it's, um, it's just, it's, it, there's only, there's a finite number of clicks out there, a finite number of eyes that will find their way to your story or ears that'll find their way to your podcast and uh, it, the easiest way to grab attention unfortunately is to be outrageous and maybe even to say things you don't really mean or believe i don't do that and uh I, i'm i'm a trained journalist and uh, i'd like to think a responsible human being a responsible citizen and uh i mean i'm not afraid to say what i really think but i'm not going to uh um try to sh i'm not going to be a shock jock and i don't think you do that and um so i i i think we're we're kind of uh, doing the best we can to to toe the line and and uh continue to do things in a journalistic way the way we were taught the way we our, our um, ethical compass uh, points and um let's hope we can win that battle what's the what's the best place for people to find your podcast and do you guys have like a set genre you ascribe to or subscribe to obviously the interests are going to be varied and when we talked about sports or you mentioned sports illustrated we're talking about a, a changing landscape i don't think any oh. i don't think any publication underscores that better in the last let's say three to five years than where sports illustrated is at but do you guys have um one general area multiple or how do you decide on a weekly basis what you're going to do is it just kind of driven by the news well first of all we 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 try to do two a week, usually Monday and Friday. And then we try the, the, the marching orders are, uh, try to give, uh, try to talk about things that people aren't hearing anywhere else. So we're not afraid to, to stray quite far from, uh, from that day's uh, viewing menu. Although NFL keeps coming up because we, you know, we've talked about things like, uh, uh, you know, how to, how to stop tanking in the NFL, what would be the proper way to, to uh to redo that whether it's a straight draft lottery or some other method um we've talked about fixing overtime rules in the nfl because you know coin flip quite often if you score that first touchdown it ends it right um and we've we've, we've talked a little bit about my hall of fame ballot this last time we've been we even talked about um 
cornhole. I, I found myself watching cornhole late at night once, and there's an actual multiple professional leagues, and uh, and I was so taken with that. We spent uh, we we we, uh, we call it three point range because we spent ten minutes, three of us, and we each bring a point to the table, and we spend about ten minutes on it, each one, and then we bat it around for a while, and we agree to disagree, or sometimes we actually agree, and and then we move on. So it's it's been fun. We we just started that early December, and uh, it's no, you really can't pin it down to one area. Other the only one of the main ground rules is you'll not hear Kimball talk about modern baseball because scouts aren't allowed to do that. So mm-hmm. he could talk about Dick Allen when he passed, mm-hmm. because uh, the Padres will not be acquiring Dick Allen. They, they're acquiring everyone else, it seems, but they're not going to be acquiring any um, dead ball players. Uh, so. Um, that's about it. Other than that, it's uh, it's a free for all, and it's been fun. And uh, all my times on there with you and Tom at Midwest Swing certainly prepared me for uh, for the uh, blows that I did not see coming. Well, and I think you're right. It is a little bit like riding a bicycle because I think even I was a little worried about how my intro would go, and it's really getting back in that groove. Now I will say. We'll probably limit the late night cornhole references just to keep that explicit tag <laughs> off this program. But um, I don't think you guys have an explicit tag. Are you guys iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Libs, and all that fun stuff? Or, or where's the best place to oh. find you guys? Other than obviously your Twitter account uh, at Mike yeah. Berardino. Anchor.fm is the is the hosting sure. mechanism we use, and you can find it that way. Spotify is kind of their partner, and so we're there. And Stitcher and Google podcasts and a few others i'm still working on expanding that platform but then we also have a, a sub stack that um nice uh which is pretty cool uh, i believe you're doing a sub stack which is great and people should definitely subscribe to that i mean when you're giving people content like that and why wouldn't they want that newsletter right in their inbox and so this is conveniently called three spelled out t-h-r-e-e hyphen point range uh the sub stack and so there's there's that and there's um of course our twitter accounts and facebook a facebook page for it and it's a labor of love brandon it's it's not going to uh, give any of us a chance to retire early but um it's just nice the fact that we've known each other uh you know um in the in the case of uh, kimball and tim we've known each other since 1985 and um don't do the math you if know. you're listening to this we don't need to know how long that's <laughs> i'm been. proud of that i'm proud <laughs> I, mean, I, I i've had people say uh, my own sister said uh, that she thought the the coolest thing about it was that you know it's still three people who've known each other for three and a half decades and they and they can still have a a fun time talking with each other and and um, you know I, I maybe if this if all that comes out of this podcast is it inspires some people to go beyond just liking their old friends' posts on social media and actually picking up the phone and calling them and reconnecting with them that I would be delighted that would be great I. Life's too short to to let those years go by and 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 not enjoy the company, whether even if just by phone, um, of old friends. I mean, that's really what it's mm-hmm. about. Yeah, especially with where we're at in society right now, mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. So, anybody who's listened to this show for very long, in terms of maybe when we first started this show or you know years to come since then, knows that. This time of year is when we talk about your Hall of Fame ballot. Now, we'll get to that. That's I don't want to call it a back burner issue because we're going to get to it in just a second here. But there has been, you know, it's obviously apt metaphor with the weather here, a freeze out in free agency. We saw this a few years ago when guys like Lance Lynn had no choice but to sign a one-year deal with whoever was offering. That happened to be the Minnesota Twins. That happened to be not such a great situation. Now he's pitching for the White Sox, and, and we all know about that. But – I believe that that a year ago there was about $2 billion in contracts having been signed, and right now, year-to-date, we're at like $175 million, something like that. Either way, I think I saw somewhere that it was something like eight or nine times, so maybe my math is completely off, more money had been spent a year ago to this point in the offseason. I don't even know what to make of it. Again, I know there's obviously COVID implications shorter season revenue streams, but also a CBA negotiation that is no doubt going to be probably as hostile as they've had any time, at least in the last uh, decade plus or two decades plus, if not three, back to obviously the the labor unrest in the mid-90s. But 
I, I just I don't even know what to make of this right now. The only thing that's really happening is Trevor Bauer, you know, posting nonstop about his free agency, and, and I'm just not sure anybody's really buying that either. But what do you what do you put? Um, how do you label this off season as far as you know to to steal from Vince Lombardi? What the hell's going on out there? <laughs> well, it strikes me that the market um, uh, hates uncertainty and. Um, there is uncertainty still about um, when we'll be starting and will it, will the season go through uninterrupted and, and will it be a full 162 or something closer to last year's 60? And um, you know, there's a variety of ways this thing could be. Will there even be a DH in both leagues or not? It feels like there won't be, but you know they still have that wiggle room. And that's why, in the case of Nelson Cruz, that's a big part of why it's being held up, um, his decision. Um, just the fact that even the arbitration numbers, you know, when you see MLB trade rumors every year coming out with the with what usually is very close to the number well in advance, um, they can pretty much peg that off a full season, going into a full season, uh, within 5% or so of what that final number will be. Well, they had to give you three different numbers this time based on how uh, that and we and, and it's still up for debate how that's going to all shake out. You see a lot of people just taking the best number they can get early. I saw most of the twins did that. Mm-hmm. What Taylor Rogers is waiting and, and playing it out, but um, the vast majority of them signed um, early, avoided any sort of uh, arbitration hearing, and um, normally that that process would take into January. Uh, about now um, to happen, and instead it, it was at the non-tender date. So. Um, yeah, the, the uncertainty of it, it's not, I, I think back to a time when baseball, um, would use the status of the expos and then later the nationals to freeze the market. They were able to do that because they, they had one team out there that, um, people didn't know actually how many, you know, signings would happen and where would that team go, et cetera. Uh, that, that sort of, and again, the longer baseball has learned. The owner's side has learned that the more uncertainty you can maintain and the closer you get to an opening of a spring training, somebody's going to blink. And usually it's the side with uh, families and finite years of performance and limited earning capacity once their bodies start to give out, as opposed to an owner who can own a team till he's 100 years old and see it appreciate, you know, tenfold, twentyfold, fiftyfold, whether he's a good owner or not. Yeah, it's like tanking in NFL or other sports, really, like you had mentioned about your podcast. It's a it's a problem without an obvious solution. And I know fans want, you know, a dedicated signing period or something like that to replicate the frenzy that we see most notably with the NBA this year because of how their season was structured. But we see it with the NFL too, where free agency opens at midnight and by twelve oh four on Roto World you see that you know, one of the bigger free agents has signed with Washington because that seems to be where they all signed a decade ago. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know how you replicate that. I don't think you can replicate that. Baseball is a game of nuance and a game of time. So I don't know that they're going to change that, but I do think that the, the way to fix it is still unclear and how they're going to do that is, is probably not going to be resolved until this new CBA is signed. And hopefully, there's no stoppage, which I'm not confident is going to be the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm not confident about that either, but it does strike me that um, each one of these uh, CBA negotiations, we get a little bit closer to the owner's ultimate goal. Uh, if it's not ultimate, it's pretty close to their ultimate, which is finally to have a hard cap. And the I do think, I mean, that the way it'll happen and maybe another seemingly nuclear winter like this will bring the players along with the idea of a payroll floor. They've already, they've always resisted a payroll floor even because then it's very easy to make the point on the owner's side. Well, we need to have a cap too. So um, you're going to, I do think a la all the other major professional sports, they will get there eventually. And there will be a, there'll be pooled revenues and there will be a percentage that goes to the players and a percentage that goes to the owners. And um, there will be a hard uh, cap at the top and a hard cap at the bottom, or maybe a rolling three-year period. I've always thought that would mm-hmm. be the best way on the bottom, a three-year period where you must spend 
X amount um, on your 40 man roster in that three year span. Otherwise you lose draft picks or, or get fined or however they do it. But um, the unions to this point always successfully pushed that concept away because they did not want ever to see a hard cap. Marvin Miller would roll over in his grave if they went for it. But when the, if, if, if indeed the owners are, um, are, socking away more money than the players are if you know if that percentage of revenue total revenue in the 11 billion dollar game isn't pushing 60 percent going to the players then players need to think about going along with it and having a payroll floor and a and a, and a hard cap because really is the is the luxury tax when you see what the red sox have done in the last couple of years i mean the boston red sox four-time champions in the last two decades decade and a half um letting talent like that out the door just to get under a cap and or under a, a threshold and avoid a luxury tax. It's, it, it, it acts as a hard cap already. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it, it's not, it's not doing Cubs what I think. Now, the yeah. Cubs now, unbelievable. you know, it's objectionable, but, um, but if you put in a floor, uh, then at, at the very least you, you know, you take away the, you, you remove the temptation for, for all of them to just uh, hide behind, losses that you will never be able to prove and and then they also can just point from a competitive standpoint they can just point to the rays and say well we're trying to be like the rays mm-hmm. you know look what the rays do we well, can do that and, and well you probably can't but yeah. um they certainly are within their rights to say that they're that's their aim because it's uh, the rays are pretty good at at doing what they do well and the, i liked how the rolling three-year plan or even cap rollover if you want i think nfl has that or something to that effect um, I think that that all of those ideas have merit and are probably the path that maybe should be taken because at the end of the day, we can fight for player rights. We can advocate for them, I guess. We're not fighting for them or maybe not even advocating. We can just look at the situation and say, man, you know, we want the millionaires to just do a little better against the billionaires, but the big man is going to win pretty much every time. It's just kind of how we come to expect these things, so... Anyway, well, they, yeah, partnership. It would. Be, it would I, I, I hope to hell that there's not a work stoppage and that the, the two sides do uh, figure out a way to uh, continue entertaining us on the other side of through this pandemic and on the other side of it. It certainly was useful looking back on the 60 game mini season and then the postseason. And it, and it really was welcome diversion from <laughs> being holed up uh, and and uh, avoiding uh, all human contact. And um uh, you know, their baseball, once people are able to go back out fully and go to a ballpark, I mean, those, those attendance numbers are going to be massive. Um, mm-hmm. people, people are just looking for any kind of, uh, once they're able to be maskless, um, and safely in public. And, and I, mean, I just have to believe that, uh, um, recession or no recession, um, all the sports are going to see, uh, booming attendance figures. Well, and I think you and I both know if you want a partnership, what you have to do, and that's put Derek Falvey and Thad Levine in in power because they'll always try to find a partnership. So, <laughs> um, partner up, yep. So let's let's dive into your Hall of Fame ballot. I know that's why Ryan Thibodeau is listening right now. Hi, Ryan. Um, he's been he's been collecting <laughs> these ballots now for better part of a decade, I want to say. But uh, he obviously does a great job with his Hall of Fame ballot, and they're. They're tracking right now with nobody projected to make the Hall of Fame. Full disclosure, my hypothetical ballot, because I'm not even into BBWAA right now, let alone 10 years in, my hypothetical ballot has 10. I won't spoil yours except to say that it doesn't have 10. Let's do this first, Mike. Let's let's okay. talk about your close but no cigar guys. Because on an unlimited ballot, again, I voted for 10. I think I could talk myself into, I'm looking at the screen right now, one, two, uh, three, four, five. See, I'm a big hall guy. I could probably talk myself into 15 guys this year. And I'm sure that's going to make you just kind of, you know, go, whoa, maybe that's why you're not in the BBWAA. But I'm a big hall guy. I think it's a museum. And if it tells the story of baseball, then it should be inclusive rather than exclusive. But that's not a majority opinion that's maybe not even a popular opinion at all so with that said who did you look at and say man they were close but just not getting that check mark at least not this year well um 
considering uh, that your listeners, uh, repeat listeners to this episode, annual episode, um, would know that I'm still one of those uh, in the smoking gun camp in terms of mm. uh, if you've been uh, linked to PEDs in a credible way, that's more than just hearsay, uh, something like the Mitchell Report or Balco or or brought before Congress in a way that uh, <laughs> didn't go well for you. You weren't here were, to talk know, about the past. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that we've all been over that ad nauseum. But I must tell you that every year I do. And this is uh, the ninth opportunity. One more chance after this for Bonds and Clemens. Um, and so, so. I mean, I uh, I do give that some thought, and and I ask myself if I'm there yet, and uh, I'm not there yet. So um, there's still one last chance, and that next year I think that pondering will take uh, not just hours but days, maybe weeks. Maybe I'll call some more people. I mean, it wasn't the last chance for me to put them in. And of course, I always all of us who are still towing that line and and still holding that line are saying. Well, there's always the, the Veterans Committee that can uh, rectify that if they feel it's a wrong. They've, they've certainly done that enough times through the years, not always in the proper direction, uh, in my estimation, or maybe missed opportunities there as well. But um, it's not like uh, we won't, those, those guys um, won't ever uh, make it to, um, to the hall as with, with plaques. They're there, they're, they're, their accomplishments are are going to be always be noted within the hall somewhere on the tour um, once we're able to go back there and and uh, and of course their place in history doesn't change um, but um, the character clause and um, and it's become uh, more of a hot button than ever because um, where you know where do you first of all should you even pay any heed to the character clause that's put into our directions from the baseball hall they jeff idelson and 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 now tim mead those people have not and people who run the hall they they have not taken that word out of our instructions um so in my estimation we still have to, to keep that in mind in terms of uh as i've explained before and should probably just stop now because it's repetitive <laughs> but um you know if it if it if it affected the game with between the lines and i and and see that smoking gun in whatever way um, in our in our heart of hearts and our ability and our attempt to um, to have the most worthy Hall of Fame all factors included no check mark for the, the, the people who came closest in that group obviously Bonds and Clemens um, now beyond and Cord Manny Ramirez beyond, beyond that um, and Sheffield. If Sheffield weren't tied to Balco, I'd have to very much consider Sheffield. And Sosa, I suppose, uh, falls in that bucket too, right? What's that? Does Sosa fall in that bucket? Maybe, yeah, I, maybe, maybe yeah. you mentioned him, and oh, I didn't hear yeah. it. No, I mentioned him. Yeah, but again, uh, I'm not. And he gets one more shot next year. So. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, at the at the at the top, you mentioned that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. How many, if those guys don't make it this year, and again, uh, uh, Ryan Thibodeau's uh, early uh, public ballot uh, percentages suggest they won't because there's always a drop-off um, right. from the public to the private. Um, will they get that final push? Will something change in that final year where, um, you know, it, it, people, are, what will happen is people will start to they'll step back. Certain percentage of the group will step back and say, well, when A Rod comes eligible, am I going to vote for A Rod? Do I have mm -hmm. to? I mean, am I right. am I going to have one one set of rules for Bonds and Clemens, a different one for A Rod? What about David Ortiz? What am I going right. to do there, et cetera? So, um, I mean, the ballot's not getting less crowded, that's for sure. No, especially no, not so if nobody gets uh, in. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's going to be interesting. I mean, I yep. I would say then the people who didn't get a check mark from me. Who were on the cusp? The closest were Burley, Mark Burley, and Tim Hudson. Yeah, I like those. In I like that case. Yeah, that those are the ones I really struggled over. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Tory Hunter had an excellent career, uh, and I really enjoyed covering him at the end, his final year. Um, and it's a shame. It, it's a shame to me. I'm sure to him that uh, 
uh, even the great Jay Jaffe uh, saw fit to include our little exchange at Tory's return press conference uh. in his in his, in his um, summation, which is always excellent of each player's hall case. Right. Uh, that's such a footnote to what Tory Hunter did in Major League Baseball and uh, will continue to do in a Twins front office role. I mean, just as an ambassador of the game and all that. I um, I cringed when I saw that. Nothing against Jay. I mean, he's just being as complete as possible. But um, Yeah, Jay's great, by the way. If, I'm sure he's great. not listening, but he's great. No, no, well, he should be listening. I but, hope so. Uh, um, that's, a, that, that's a footnote. Um, but, um, yeah, Burley, who I uh, got to cover um, – in that 06 world or 05 world series. Um, and then um, with the Marlins for one year, that one strange year with Ozzie Guillen, you know, uh, every baseball writer loved covering a Mark Burley game because it went by very quickly and it was, <laughs> it was, and then there were good quotes afterwards. So um, two hours, 12 minutes and you're out of there. Yeah. You got, you know, you got it like that. And uh, it was a throwback kind of experience and he pitched to uh, soft contact and, but, you know, there just wasn't um, enough dominance, maybe, is the word. I mean, certainly the durability, incredible, the 200-inning stretch um, that he had and just missed by a nose at the, on the last year. And he certainly could have stretched out his career several more years, could have gone another four years if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but those numbers would have declined. The value, uh, the, the war numbers certainly would have declined, or even less dominance at that point. And and he he knew when it was time to get out. And um, right. I just think he had a fine fine career. I I too am a big hall person, and I and I don't have a problem with that. If he were to get in, that'd be great. And if he, you know, the thing I did struggle with is, you know, I have to ask myself uh, if he somehow is one and done and doesn't even get to the five percent, is that a tragedy in the hall process? Mm-hmm. And um, I had the same conversation with myself about Hudson who his his issue um was durability there were periods there where he just couldn't get to the mound and um wasn't wasn't as dominant uh, as well for periods of time but um they had fine fine careers and um I uh I in the end I, I just left him off yeah I think that's fair well I'll just say Burley would be on my unlimited list Tim Hudson would probably be on my unlimited list. Jeff Kent, probably. Sammy Sosa, probably. And I took Kurt Schilling off this year. I'll just I'll do that as a spoiler. I just think that he's gone down a road. He was already on the path. He's gone too far down the road of reprehensible comments. And at the end of the day, when you say things like you do against journalists who are responsible for voting for this in the first place, I think I think that is a character issue. And so for me that that does breach into that. As a player, he's obviously a Hall of Famer. And so that's kind of one of the guys I was on the fence about. With that said, I I want to go column by column. We'll get you out of here fairly quickly. The first column, we've got Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Mark Burley, AJ Burnett, Roger Clemens, Michael Kadire, Dan Heron, and Latroy Hawkins. For me, I went with Bobby Abreu. I went with Barry Bonds, and I went with Roger Clemens. A big thing for me is the steroid era being what it is and that baseball used that as a vehicle to get back from the 1994 strike. I feel like if they were truly worried about the legacy that the steroid era would portray – the the rules against using steroids would have been more stringent more quickly. Now, I'm not sure that they could have gotten that testing through the union faster. Maybe I'm missing that because that's obviously context I would have better if I was an, a person who was older covering the game back then. And, and again, that's why you have the 10-year clause for writers to have the eligibility to vote. I think that's a big reason why. You would understand that better than me. For me, though, if they had the DGAF attitude towards steroids like I thought they did, then I'm going to have that same attitude when it comes to putting guys into the Hall of Fame with my hypothetical ballot. So, again, from that first column, I'm voting for Bobby Abreu, I'm voting for Barry Bonds, and I'm voting for Roger Clemens. And you are voting for... Bobby Abreu is one of my holdovers, yes. I, I didn't take anybody 
off my ballot that was on there last year, and right. um, I didn't add anybody. So we're talking about all holdovers, and Abreu's one of them. And um, maybe the most like, underrated player of his era, don't you think? Well, he's certainly got to be on the short list, considering that he's starting to climb now in the in the early public numbers after barely making it last year at five and a half percent. Just That's crazy. Just barely made it. I was glad that he almost got Lou Whitakerd there, but I was glad that. Uh, I gave him the vote, and and um, yeah, I mean that's this is an example of um, a guy who uh, wasn't uh, uh, portrayed very often in the press, um, who was considered a fine teammate, obviously very productive, um, um, doubles machine, walk machine, um, and um, just a, just an all around uh, fine player, excellent player. Um, and the sneaky good. I mean, there are. That's what uh, analytics allow us to go back and do now. We mm-hmm. can actually measure the base running contributions and the defensive contributions and the and thing and and go beyond just the narrative of did he feel like oh I don't feel comfortable really with that whole thing of did he did you feel like you were covering a hall of famer or when you right, think right. back on him did he did he seem like was he ever the best player on his team? What does that matter? There's a lot of average players who are on bad teams who are consistently the best player on a bad team. What does that matter? You, right. you know, if you're surrounded on a team with, with three or four other potential hall of famers, maybe you're the fourth best player, but you're all hall of famers. So um, that's, yeah, I got to that point with a last year and the first chance to vote for him and I voted for him and um, he'll continue to get my vote. So the middle is Todd Helton, Tim Hudson, Tory Hunter, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Andy Pettit, Aramis Ramirez, Manny Ramirez, and Scott Rowland. Now, I went with, this is my crowded section. I've got Todd Helton. I've got Andrew Jones. I've got Andy Pettit, which is probably pretty controversial. I've got Manny Ramirez, and I've got Scott Rowland. I I hope Rowland gets in. I think he's, again, too, one of those underrated players from his era. Maybe wasn't Mike Schmidt, and if that was expected of him, that probably wasn't fair, but a terrific player in his own right. Yeah, I have um, the holdovers there are um, Helton, Jones, and Roland. Yep, and they'll continue to get my votes. I don't, I don't. Uh, I mean, Helton. Now I skipped the first year and then voted for him the second year. I felt that maybe I had been because uh, I was a Larry Walker guy from the beginning, and uh, then I realized that Helton. Um, if once Walker got in, maybe I was uh, being too rough on Helton because Walker and Helton's. Uh, Road production away from Coors Field was was similar enough, and right, and right. Uh, and Helton's excellence at first base was enough to to keep him in the same uh, conversation as Walker out there in the outfield. So um, Helton is a, is a guy who gets my vote again, um, and um, and he's he seems to have some momentum. Uh, Roland too seems to have some momentum, and Andrew Jones again. That's a guy surrounded by Hall of Famers, but the thing one of the mental exercises and i did get to be around those braves teams we've talked about i did get to cover them in my augusta days and then later in my south florida sun sentinel days but you know uh glavin smoltz maddox um would be the first to tell you that they uh they benefited greatly from uh balls that andrew jones ran down mm-hmm. and didn't break a sweat <laughs> and he also was tremendously productive uh for the first half of his career he did go right. off that cliff but uh, his defensive value uh, was real, and um, you know it's it's not going to be a fraudulent haul if he doesn't make it, um, and he very well may not make it. But I felt that he has uh, each time has deserved the check mark. And then Roland, besides, you had as well. That's it. That's an easy one to me, yeah. uh, and it's nice to see he's really starting to climb. It feels now like he's. Um, going to make it eventually. He's got enough years left. This is year four. That's another guy, uh, kind of like an Abreu and and um, and teammates for a while. That um, they uh, they they're perfectly approachable. That doesn't matter. But they Scott well Scott Rowland could be a, 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 certainly in Philadelphia had his battles with the Philadelphia press that may still cost him some votes. I'm not sure. I haven't looked. Uh, uh, person by person at that but right. uh early in his career he was controversial because of, of whether he was going to sign an extension or not and then, of course he goes to st louis and he goes to cincinnati and he's the same excellent player 
in all phases at each place. Just a throwback gamer player, very productive, not huge home run power, but um, extra base machine and the and the and the and the on base and then a, a premium defensive player. And so we can measure these things and and uh, his peak years and his overall wins above replacement um, all point to that that he was. Um, to some extent overlooked uh, while he was playing. And, and it doesn't matter in, in my mind if people sit here in 2021 now and, uh, and, and don't recall feeling like they were witnessing a hall of fame career. Well, we're, maybe we weren't paying close enough attention. Right. Right. Well, let's move on to the last one and then we'll let you out of here. I know we've kept you a little longer than we hoped for, but hopefully people are enjoying the reboot of Midwest swing under the access twins umbrella. The last trio or the last, the, the third of the columns is Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Sammy Sosa, Nick Swisher, Shane Victorino, Omar Vizcal, Billy Wagner, and Barry Zito. I will say I took Schilling off. I have Gary Sheffield and I have Billy Wagner. Gary Sheffield, one of the most iconic right-handed swings of my lifetime is Son is a schmuck on Twitter, but I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> maybe you haven't seen that yet, but uh, we'll just let people find that on their own. Um, to me, Sheffield is a right-handed hitter. Again, iconic, just like Nanny Ramirez. And to some extent, obviously, Sammy Sosa, too. And uh, again, unlimited ballot, I'd, I'd vote for all three of them. And then Billy Wagner, to me, I, I, I think a closer, like I think of punters and kickers, and again, their their quote unquote war or value is going to be understated. Same thing goes for catchers too, though. Think about how many hundred war catchers there are versus hundred war shortstops, center fielders, third baseman, etc. You have to grade on a curve. When you think about all time closers, Billy Wagner is right there. He's 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 right there for me behind Mariano Rivera. I don't know where he stands with someone like maybe Lee Smith. You got Dennis Eckersley, and, and you know Eckersley's obviously got that that starting timeline at the beginning of his career too but i don't think you can talk about the most elite closers in mlb history and not bring up billy wagner so to recap again gary sheffield and billy wagner are on my third column uh what say you well i'm I'm right there with you on wagner and that was when he and trevor hoffman were up at the same time it was uh, clear to me that uh, you couldn't have a hall with one and not the other sure um and so because wagner was more dominant um in a shorter period of time but um far more dominant than uh trevor hoffman and and uh, did it for long enough well enough that he, he i believe he belongs in that hall there's room for him in that hall um and um the only other one in that column for me is Schilling. i retained kurt Schilling and Really went back and forth on that and, and uh-huh. read that was one where I did um, go back even and watch an interview again that he did with Bob Costas a year ago and and then read uh, some of the things that my colleagues had written about it um, uh, from Richard Justice to Ken Rosenthal, people who had covered Schilling for many years. And I had been around Schilling and always found him to be a guy who certainly had an opinion on everything when he played, but it was generally baseball wise. Um, and, um, a couple of things on that. Um, I guess the, where I drew the line was, uh, and no, I'm not comfortable with, uh, his, I would say very irresponsible use of social media, but there's a mm-hmm. uh, difference between what you say and what you do. Although recently, obviously we, we see just in the past week that, um, there can be clear linkage between, um, inciting, violence if you have that big a forum versus what Schilling's forum seems to be declining. But, um, you know, he, he already talked his way off of ESPN with, with his, um, incessant, uh, political sharing. And the thing about the, the rope tree journalist, some assembly required thing that, that you uh, you mentioned that, and a lot of people who've taken him off have said that was uh, one of those things inciting violence. And obviously, as a journalist, I mean, it's it's never been a more dangerous profession worldwide, but especially in this country, um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, we are not the enemy of the people. Uh, certainly, uh, no one uh, in a in a messenger uh, serving as a messenger in journalism is. Uh, 
is a the enemy of the people. But that whole thing about uh, what Schilling tweeted there that that was ridiculous. It's stupid. I'm not going to defend that. But does that get does that make him? Does that show great character? No. But if I'm going to start uh, making that, the, and it's up to anybody where they draw that line. But I just I decided that it would somehow be selfish as a journalist to be up in arms over the fact that he singled out journalists with that violent retweet. It wasn't his. He didn't craft it. Mm -hmm. He retweeted it, and he said something like uh, um, he, he seemed to agree with it. But um thought it was humorous. He's walked it back since then. He said he was clearly he was joking. He's not continued to advocate for that sort of thing. He's not out there actually harming people. Um, he has stayed away, to the best of my knowledge, from outright racial uh, baiting, uh, from hate speech, as it were. But he certainly, with his podcast, which I don't listen to regularly, um, but he certainly has gone beyond the line many people are comfortable with in terms of what you would say is the proper way to spend your post-retirement years. Yeah. Um, does that in year nine, I did consider, and I think other people are doing this, and if he doesn't make it this year, if he stays flat, and it looks like right now he's staying flat or might lose some ground, there are some people, because this is year nine for him, because there will be one more chance for the baseball writers to put him in, I did consider that one year a Twitter timeout essentially um, to say, let's see how he behaves over the next year sure. with his sure. social media presence. Yep. Let's see if he uh, figures out how to edit himself at a time when our country seems to do nothing but yell at each other. Yep. Um, and he's just adding to it in whatever opportunities he gets. But I, I backed away from that in the end, and I said, nope, that I, I'm going to draw the line. And one of the people that I think of with that is, you know, um, is Steve Carlton. Now, if mm -hmm. Steve Carlton, you know, had Twitter after his retirement, he might not have made it into the Hall of Fame because I seem to recall him giving a very controversial interview with a lot of crackpot QAnon-type theories mm -hmm. before there was QAnon to Jerry Krasnick. Um, when Jerry was working out in Denver and uh, Carlton, this was maybe early 90s, was in the uh, in, in ex-twin, uh, ex-several teams. But Steve Carlton, no doubt, had a Hall of Fame career, another, you know, best known for his Phillies work. But um, kind of in retirement, went off the deep end and down in Durango, Colorado, and just said crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was in a traditional uh, form. It was in one outlet. It got picked up by the Associated Press. It might have got talked about on ESPN a night or two, but there wasn't, it didn't take on a life of its own. And of course, he wasn't, he didn't have that daily temptation to get on Twitter and, right. uh, and <laughs> bear his soul or empty the stuff rattling around in his head. And um, so that doesn't, that's not to say that any of what Kurt Schilling does on his social media platforms or his podcast are things that I endorse or uh, want to see more of, but it's just where I, I felt that there needs to be a line between what you say, the crazy stuff. I, I like to say, and I, I don't think I invented this, but I, I've heard this, your right to swing your fist stops where my nose begins, something like that. Mm. You can, you can go out in public and you know, you can't scream fire in a crowded theater that's one of the things that that's that's endangering the public right. you can go out in public and flail about and yell at the moon and and act like a complete fool and even potentially a hateful fool but if if it's not physically hurting me or anyone else and if it's not resonating to the point that it is leading some sort of dangerous uprising then it's just empty babble yeah and i kind of chalk Kurt Schilling's social media presence up to empty babble. Mm -hmm. And I don't see how that takes the check mark away. That was my view on it. Others will disagree. Now, I would be remiss if we don't very, 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 very briefly, I just have to say, Omar Vizquel was a no for me yeah. before all these allegations, and he's still a no for me. Um, I don't want to keep you real long, but again, I'm just saying he was a no before, and he's further further into that no camp after the athletic story that Katie Strang so 
wonderfully wrote and um yeah just no no go for me yeah that's that's hurting others and um he was he did not have my vote he was short for me offensive no pun he was short uh offensively before right. but certainly the glove all-time great defender the andrew you know andrew jones like at his position but just not enough offensive value fine base runner too mm-hmm. um but that's yeah i mean he's going to lose ground and and uh, that's if that's not you know character issue than than what is you know todd helton also in retirement has had uh, dui issues and um that's not responsible at all and that could in theory very easily harm others mm-hmm. and this that's what makes this such a uh, a thankless task, a, an awesome responsibility, and one that I understand when my cohorts say we don't feel comfortable making the news anymore when it's this uh, much of a, of a, of a muddled yep. experience. Yep. But, um, you know, if Todd Helton runs over a, an innocent uh, biker or something uh, while he's inebriated, well, th- that's a character flaw right there. So should I have taken him off? Right. I don't know. Perhaps. I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought about it. I mean, because that's that's an action. That's not just words. That's just not him going on social media and saying, hey, everybody drink too much and get behind the wheel. Essentially, maybe that's all Kurt Schilling has done is, is, yep. is advocate irresponsible thinking or or less than um, noble uh, interaction. Uh, he's um, he's to me uh, just howling at the moon um, because um that's that that's the read on it but yes i mean it's those those are the those are the hot button issues that's what mm-hmm. it's about this time character more than ever and if the hall i'll just say i'll just wrap with if the hall uh elders were to take the character clause away at some point because of <laughs> the fact that there's plenty of bad actors already in the hall of fame mm-hmm. you know ty cobb and all of his late friends who are up there you know they they did plenty of horrible things while playing and beyond, um, but we weren't voting on them. So uh, if the hall were to take away the, to strike that word character from the uh, instructions, you would you would have people getting to ten votes much more readily in the future. Well, let's call Kurt Schilling Skip so that he can bay less. Um, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Uh, so Mike Verdino, yes, votes for Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. For me, Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, and Billy Wagner. He's Mike Berardino. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Berardino. That's B-E-R-A-R-D-I-N-O. Listen to his podcast. It's called Three Point Range. It's on Anchor FM. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Brandon. All the best. Thank Let's you talk again real soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Midwest Swing under the umbrella of Access Twins. We'll be back again real soon. Peace.